So tonight I'd like to continue a little bit more on the theme of loving the truth, which I think in some ways might be a theme that is emerging uh, for our retreat together. But I want to explore uh, more of what actually interferes, more of what the op op one of the obstacles to uh, loving the truth. And I want to speak about this activity of our mind, which is uh, called an ego activity, when we get caught in our old uh, habits and conditioned tendencies, uh, get caught in certain identifications and beliefs about who we are and the way things are, we can get uh, caught in a pattern of, of rejection, of a way that we reject ourselves and we reject our immediate experience. So this activity of rejection, this ego activity, as a, one of the barriers to loving the truth. And when we speak about loving the truth, we're really talking about this connection, this deep connection with our immediate experience, with our direct experience here and now. And so the meditation practices, uh, all the methods and techniques that we've been uh, teaching you on this retreat are ways to support you and us to connect more fully with the present, with the immediate present, with the direct experience. And we call this the truth, the, the true reality, as opposed to uh, an imaginary reality, one that the, we, we make up with our mind through our fantasies and our ideas and our stories. And so we're really exploring together uh, this, the, the, the true experience, the truth of our experience, to see what is that and to, to come into more understanding of what that is, what it means, what is that experience like when we live more fully in the truth. I want to begin with a story about one of my experiences, uh, which uh, has been coming up for me in a few of my talks because it seems really uh, pertinent to some of the things that I'm exploring. And this is an experience I had when I was sitting uh, one of my three-month retreats at the Insight Meditation Society on the East Coast, which is uh, our, one of our sister centers it was a, a while ago, and uh, when we do these intensive three-month retreats, it's the same as what you're doing now. It's uh, sitting and walking and sitting and walking all day, but in this case, we didn't have the, the inquiry session, so there wasn't any uh, real meeting with the other yogis on the retreat. So I remember this is some way in about uh, two months of my sitting of sitting and walking and sitting and walking. And so my mind was somewhat quiet, as you can probably imagine. There was a certain uh, development of mindfulness after a few months of intensive practice. And I was walking, I was doing my walking meditation at night downstairs in the basement. And at the Insight Meditation site, it's one building rather than what we have as a number of buildings. So the downstairs is just one large basement with some pillars. And down there they had, I don't think they, this was in the past, they had these two very large old rugs. And um, I would do my walking meditation 
walking along the edge of one of the rugs. It was quite long and big. And I find, for some reason, we all have our own characteristics. I just like walking along some kind of straight edge. You know, um, it just kind of keeps me in alignment with my walking. So I usually find some kind of a straight edge. So I'm walking along the edge of the carpet, back and forth, just you know, minding my own business, just really attending to the lifting, moving, placing, living, lifting, moving, placing. I was the only one down there, I think, in this very large room. And then as I'm walking along, I was kind of walking along the edge of one, and the other carpet was just about two feet away. The thought arises in my mind, oh, I think I'd rather walk on that carpet. And I don't notice that thought arising, and so I keep walking, and then it keeps persisting. That carpet would be much more interesting to walk on. <laughs> You would have a much better experience if you walk on that carpet rather than this carpet. And I just kept, no I just kept noticing the rising of that thought and then the, the pull and the desire to jump over to the other carpet and I just kept walking and then it was really got persistent. It, it really would be better <laughs> to walk on that carpet. And then the, the insight came that this is what happens most of the time. When we're, either when we're sort of doing something that is rather routine or kind of uh, not very interesting or, you know, just sort of ordinary, the thought comes of something that might be much more stimulating or much more interesting or, oh, if I only had that experience instead of this one or if I only was in that place instead of this place. And there's the tendency, it, it's just a, a, a habit of the mind to want to pull us away from where we are to something else that is much more, seemingly, the mind says, much more exciting. Well, this was so obvious <laughs> in this situation that walking along that edge of the carpet wasn't likely to give me a lot more satisfying experience than the one I was having walking along this edge of the carpet. And it was really quite interesting to, to sort of just keep walking with that feeling and that kind of revelation of the tendency of my own mind to want to pull me out of my experience. And as some of you may know, if you do intensive practice over, over some time, when you start moving from one place to the next, to the next, to the next, it can actually disturb the concentration, disturb the samadhi. So it's actually quite good to be as settled and as still as one can, both in the sitting and the walking, to be very uh, steady in both, in both forms. And so it was very interesting to kind of watch that the mind just wants, wanted to move. It didn't want to just keep that steadiness and rather empty, you know, empty kind of experience of just walking along the edge of the carpet for 45 minutes. It's like something more interesting has to happen here. So just to s I just saw it, and I just stayed with the feeling of that desire, of that pull, of that longing to go, to jump ship, basically, to, you know, jump onto another experience. And it was, it was very significant in a way for me because I was able, in the, in the state that I was, I was able to see it very clearly. Just that, the, the, the nagging tendency of mind to think that something's going to be better 
over there. And I think that this is so much of what happens with this the ego self, this sense of self that has certain kinds of ideas and beliefs about what's actually going to bring about happiness. What's going to make me feel better? What's going to make me happier? What's going to make me more comfortable? What's going to be more exciting? And in we can be pulled around by these ideas all day long, just jumping from one thing to the next to the next in order to find some kind of satisfaction which is really very interesting because the jumping around probably isn't going to bring a lot of satisfaction because it's a kind of restless, uh, anxious, uh, unsettled, unsteady kind of mind state, which m probably wouldn't feel the most satisfying when we really start to examine it, when we really start to feel it. But we believe that that thing over there is going to make me happier, or I'm going to feel more whole in some way. I'm going to be a better person or a more complete person. And I can even right now, as I talk about that experience with the rug, I can sense how I could really believe that. That, that would have, I would have been much happier at that moment had I walked on that rug than this rug. But I didn't give in to it. So we get pulled out of our experience in many different ways through the day. We get pulled out of ourselves to things or objects, you know, whether sights or sounds or taste or you know, all the sense pleasures uh, that we can easily get pulled from. People, situations that we will think will make us feel better. This whole feeling of toppling forward. It's actually when we feel it, it's, it's an energetic sense of toppling, being pulled out of where we are to something else. And this takes us away, it can, if we don't see it, if we're not really connected and present with our experience, we can be pulled out of the, the truth of our experience, believing that, the, that, that something more truthful or better or more uh, satisfying is out there somewhere. We find that we will uh, compare, we, the habit is to compare where we are now with some kind of ideal state or, or some kind of idea about what will be better for us or make us feel better. It, it's a, it's a, a, some kind of idealization of, of what's possible for us. And I think the assumption, the belief goes something like this. Here's where I am now, and over there is where I really want to be. Where I am now is not good or comfortable or pleasant as where I want to be. So where I am should change to that other place. And if we slow the whole thing down, we might start to sense that there's a, a, a movement that seems fairly perpetual in this moving us to another place. Now, there really isn't anything wrong. It's not like it's bad that we want to feel better or that we want to be better people or we want to grow or we want to develop in ourselves. Because we all know that we actually can be better than we are. That's the whole spiritual path, is, a, is the path to 
to spiritual realization, the realization of who we are, who, who, who are we in our innate nature. And we, the path is a path that is a path that takes us into uh, an evolution of our human potential. And so we know that, and we want to move ahead and be better than who we are. But if we use this understanding and this truth to judge ourselves and to reject our present experience or to try to manipulate ourselves into being different than who we are, then we undermine ourselves. We are rejecting ourselves. And in doing that, we're actually disconnecting from ourselves and not coming into a uh, opportunity, a condition within ourselves where we, where we can really grow and we can develop. We can easily get caught or stuck in the pattern of rejection, which is taking us away from being here, and it's actually being here where we can learn and understand and grow and develop into who we fully are. It's a quite an insidious habit that I think that is a very important one, and all the spiritual traditions point to this, of looking at what is that pattern of mind that trips us away from that sense of being here. All the practices, all the techniques bring us back in the, in the uh, uh, Eastern uh, philosophical traditions, point us back so that we can connect once again with the qualities of our innate nature. We can really know in a very direct and uh, uh, full way who we are, in a very real way for us. An example of this came up in the, in the group today, where there was one man who was talking about how uh, he yesterday in the inquiry, he was feeling much more connected with himself during the inquiry. And then he realized, he was reflecting on how, of course, he'd rather feel m more connected with people than how he often feels a certain disconnection. And when he sees himself in this state of disconnection, he feels really disturbed by seeing himself that way. But then, which was, was interesting, as he continued to explore it in the group, he realized that actually when he allowed himself to be connected and be present in the relationship, as he was in the inquiry, that there were actually consequences to being that open and that present and that, connect, that connected, and found that it was actually a little bit frightening. You know, it was a little bit overwhelming, actually, to allow himself to be that open. So the paradox is that, you know, we can judge ourselves for not being the way we want to be, but then when we really look at it, we go, well, wait a minute, I'm not sure I'm so ready to actually be more open or loving or generous or, you know, whatever it is that we have uh, an ideal for ourselves. We, we may not see that we're pushing ourselves in a way that is somewhat disrespectful or dishonoring of where we actually are, that perhaps where we actually are right now in our limitation 
and our sense of uh, limited capacity is right in some way. Perhaps there's even a certain perfection in the way we are when we really start to open and embrace ourselves just as we are. When we, we can judge ourselves for not being a particular way, but when we look truthfully, we can find ourselves in this wanting but not wanting. I like it, but I don't like it. You know, this kind of push-pull relationship. And as we understand this more, we might be able to feel a little bit more compassion for our predicament. That we do want to change, we want to grow, and we want to develop and be more of who we are. But perhaps we still, we need to honor and pay respect to the parts of ourselves that are not ready for that leap of transformation. When we can honor and pay respect to all parts of ourselves, this is the arising of compassion. This is really, then we allow the, uh, the quality of our heart, of the love and the kindness, the compassion, to be present in our experience. We say, yeah, it's okay. You know, it's okay the way that I'm feeling. This is, this, is, this is the only place I can be right now. I'd like to be over there. I'd like to, you know, uh, be, be that image that I have of myself, but this is where I am right now. If we're not doing that, if we're not paying respect, this is the activity of rejection, the activity of the small sense of self that has this whole set, set of ideas and standards and beliefs about what's supposed to be happening, who we should be and where we should be, and, and, and it's imposing itself again and again, and we, we feel the disturbance. We feel the agitation. We feel the unsteadiness of that. It's a kind of a, a fragmentation of where we actually are, the truth of our experience, and what our, our small ego mind is saying is true for us. You should be over there. And, and we feel the pull and, and the tension in, in our immediate experience. As we start to get more sensitive to our experience, we can actually feel that. We can feel the inner restlessness. We can feel the unsettledness of this, of this kind of fragmentation in ourselves. And so it's so part of what we explore here in the inquiry and in our investigation is how the thinking mind, how this ego mind is actually manifesting and what kinds of things it's telling us what kind of stories are arising, what kind of beliefs, ideas, opinions are there, and to, and to really question, is it true? Does the, what my mind is telling me match my true experience right now? Or is my mind telling me something that I should be that I just can't be right now? My mind tells me that I should be more loving and kind and connected, but right now that's not what I'm feeling. I'm feeling more closed and contracted and 
uh, shy and tender and pulled back. That's my true experience right now. And the more that I really allow that, then I am bringing in the qualities of my innate nature, my essential nature, the qualities of, of love and tenderness and compassion and openness, right? allowing. And right in that moment, I'm, I'm, uh, as, I, as I open, those qualities are what's being reinforced rather than the old habitual tendencies of the small self that are telling me I should be this, I should be that, you're not good enough, this should happen, you should be like this. The whole kind of uh, confusing ego activity that goes on for us. If I listen and identify with those beliefs rather than connect with the deeper truth, I'll feel the impact of these beliefs. And that impact will be to make myself wrong, to make myself bad. And sometimes, you maybe sometimes, I know in myself, and maybe you've had the experience, that I could actually feel like I'm evil when I connect with those old childhood uh, experiences and some of the things that happened in my family structure. It's like, I was really bad, you know? And the more that I can bring that into consciousness, I can start to sense how is that affecting my present experience right now? Is it true? Is that who I am now? Or is this just my memory, the, the old ideas, the old beliefs that are getting activated in this particular situation that are causing me to think that I'm that person? Am I? Am I? Is that true? What's really happening right now? What's, what is my experience right now? If I believe those thoughts and identify with those thoughts, think that I'm bad or I'm wrong or a failure or worthless in some way, what happens is then I actually start spending a lot of time looking for evidence that this is true, not only in my own experience, the ways that I've done things that have been wrong or made mistakes or I failed, but I'll start looking outside for evidence and feel suspicious about other people, that they're thinking the same thing about me. And they think I'm really bad, and I'm really wrong, and I'm really a failure. And, and, and the, our reality can start to take on a kind of magnitude where the, the, that judging mind, that um, rejecting mind, is not only here, but it's out there too. So in a way, we start to create a reality around us that validates our belief about who we think we are, a belief that may not even be true, may not even be based on any truth in present reality. And so we really begin to examine that. We really investigate this to see how can, can I really connect with my immediate and true reality right now so that I don't keep falling into these old patterns, these old ideas, these own old, old beliefs that keep undermining me, so that I'm not ab able to be here and feel into the qualities of my nature. So this is the habit that we're interested in transforming. 
in, in Buddhist language, we call this habit of rejecting uh, one of the expressions of dukkha. And dukkha, this is one of my favorite words. Dukkha, it means suffering, you know? It's the, the Eugene was talking about the four noble truths, which are the, the, tr the first noble truth is the truth of dukkha, you know? So the Buddha explores this whole aspect of suffering and how we can be free of this suffering. And the rejecting mind is one of the expressions of this dukkha. So we want to transform this habit of rejection. So using the example of this man in this group uh, uh, today, so talking about connection and wanting to be more present. Um, so he says to himself, I know I feel better. I know I like myself better when I'm connected and when I'm present in my relationships. But if, if he says to himself, you should be more connected and present, and then reject the experience of disconnection, does that actually bring about more connection and presence? So that's the interesting thing, is that we, we want to feel these qualities of our heart and our being, and then, but then we'll get into the judge and the criticism and the you're wrong and you should be this way. And, but what we're really wanting <laughs> is to bring more of the qualities. So it, so it doesn't really work. I mean, that's the important insight for us is it doesn't work. It doesn't actually bring us any closer to where we actually want to be, but it brings us further away. It keeps us separated from the very qualities of our heart, of our being. Rejection is judgmental. It's critical. It's painful. And it's disconnecting. So in order to transform the, the rejection and to be more present and to be more connected, in this case using those particular uh, examples, I can draw on the qualities of presence and connection right in the moment of my disconnection. I don't even need to get rid of the disconnection. The disconnection doesn't even need to change. It doesn't even need to go away. But right in the feeling of feeling the, the disconnection, however it is that that manifests, of, of a kind of, of a contraction or a, a shutting off, of a pulling back, of, a, of a, a running away, kind of a withdrawal. Different people may experience it different ways. Right in that experience, as I am more present with myself, more mindful of the experience, however that's manifesting, and more connected, then I am cultivating, I'm, I'm reinforcing, I'm encouraging, strengthening those very qualities that I want. That's what's actually growing in that moment. That's what's actually being nurtured in that moment. So each time, and that's what we say, the, the, a moment of mindfulness, which brings, can bring these qualities of heart. Mindfulness means that we're meeting, we're becoming present, we're, we're meeting what's happening in the moment. 
there's a certain uh, allowing, receptivity, uh, a certain uh, non-conflictual relationship with the experience. That's what we're cultivating. Every moment that we do that has tremendous power in our experience. This is a, a, a quote that was going around a lot after the 9-11 when uh, people were feeling a lot of fear after that, that time. Maybe you've heard this. A Native American grandfather was talking to his grandson about, he f about how he felt about a struggle he was having. He said, I feel as if I have two wolves fighting in my heart. One wolf is the vengeful, angry, violent one. The other wolf is the loving, compassionate one. And then the grandson asked him, which wolf will win the fight in your heart, grandfather? And the grandfather answered, the one that I feed. And it's really like that, you know? We have these two parts of ourselves, the, the, the light part, the dark part, and they seem like they're fighting inside, you know, fighting for space, fighting for airtime, you know, for expression. And it really is the one that we feed that is going to be the gain strength in ourselves, gain power in ourselves. This is from the uh, Buddha, from the Dhammapada. The thought manifests as the word, speech. The word manifests as the deed. The deed develops into habit, and the habit hardens into character. So watch the thought and its ways with care, and let it spring from love, born out of concern for all beings. Watch the thought and its ways with care, and let it spring from love. And the Buddha is really pointing to the same thing there. You know, be careful. Be careful of giving a lot of attention and energy to the thoughts that are hurtful, that are critical, that are judgmental, hateful, harsh and see if we can develop, we can cultivate the qualities of kindness and love and compassion right in the moment. And again, I think it's important to, I want to affirm again, we're not saying that it's wrong or bad or you shouldn't have these kinds of thoughts or emotions or feelings that are painful or hard or difficult. That's not the, the point. And, and I know that's, that's a hard one for us to get. Especially in Buddhism, we can have lots of images and spiritual ideals and you know, models for you know, how we should be as enlightened and spiritual people, you know, which doesn't look like being hateful and <laughs> critical and you know, angry and ungenerous and fearful and <laughs> contracted. <laughs> so we can really get caught in this kind of duality. You know, this is good and this is bad. And if this is bad, I shouldn't do it. And when I do it, you know, I need to be punished in some way or we get down on ourselves. And, and just, it's, it, it's just what we do. It's just what we do. So, but yet what we're pointing to here is it's just to see it 
and not to continue to indulge in it and believe it and identify with it. It's a, a kind of identification that blocks the truth. It cuts us off from the truth. One time, I, just a few weeks ago actually, I was um, in this, I wanted to go to this afternoon seminar on money and as a, a, a Dharma teacher who lives primarily on dana, uh, people's generosity, sometimes I feel a little insecure about my finances. So I went to this seminar on money. This man said that he, in his blurb that he knew how to uh, help people who wanted to be spiritual um, practitioners and to be able to do pilgrimage and, and retreats and you know live a, a life of a spiritual practice and still have an, an abundance of finances, <laughs> which sounds pretty ideal, doesn't it? So uh, I, I went to the, the seminar with just, a, there were only a few people there, about 10 people. And I um, was sitting there, it was two hours, and sitting there, half an hour went by, and I didn't, didn't hear much about what he said he was going to talk about yet. Another half hour went by, and he was sort of talking about his experiences. He wasn't even really talking about money. And I was just starting to feel a little impatient and uh, disappointed and uh, a little irritation was starting to rise. And I thought to myself, okay, if he doesn't start talking about what he said he was going to talk about in a half an hour, which was an hour and a half, and I'm going to say something. I could feel this building in myself. And I saw that, you know, this is, this, maybe this seminar wasn't about money. <laughs> this seminar is more of an opportunity for me to do some inquiry and to do some inquiry around my reaction and my impatience with this man because he wasn't delivering the goods and he said he was going to. And I had certain, you know, expectations and, you know, desire, you know, to get some help and uh, he, he didn't. So I, it was a wonderful practice for me to just sit with the feeling of impatience and irritation and to really feel how that was moving in my body, how that felt in my body, what kind of, what did I, what kind of action wanted to arise out of that impatience and, and irritation, and just to sit with it, just to feel it, and not have to have anything happen, not to have to make him different, or the seminar different, or myself different, but just, okay, this is impatience. And I remembered Ajahn Sumedho, one of our beloved teachers, uh, Western monk for 30-some years. Um, when he teaches, he, he, he teaches us to, in the same way, to really feel our emotional experience very directly. And then he says, puts his hand up and he says, it's like this. Impatience is like this. It's just like this. Or anger is like this. Or uh, fear is like this. And so I was sitting there in the seminar and I thought, okay, impatience is like this. And just letting it be, just and watching it and letting it move and seeing which ways it wanted to go and uh, 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 had an, another hour to sit with it <laughs> and work with it. And it was really quite interesting for me to practice from the level of allowing the 
qualities of my nature, of my uh, uh, essential nature to arise, the qualities of, of, of mindfulness and openness and compassion, interest. Interest was a strong one at that time. The interest in my experience, which are all these, ex- these are expressions of the nature itself that were meeting the experience right in the impatience. Impatience didn't necessarily go away. Sometimes we think that as soon as we're, we bring in our attention, our mindfulness, or our care, our, our tenderness, you know, it's supposed to transform, don't we? You know, we want it to transform so we don't have to feel the unpleasantness or the unsettledness, the discomfort of the experience. But it doesn't mean that it's going to go away. It just means that perhaps there's something that we can understand, something that we can, something can be revealed something can be discovered about that experience for us as we stay right there in connection, in presence, in care with ourselves right there. So that's a practice for us. You know, the practice, we, we, how the, we're asking how do we transform the rejection? So by being able to sit right in the experience without needing it to be different, without the manipulation, without the rejection, without the judging, without the uh, undermining of our experience, but say, okay, it's like this. Then to see what we, what's, what are we strengthening there then? What's strengthening for us? What, what are we, what, what's being revealed to us as we do that? This has the power of transformation. And even if we do see that we're rejecting and undermining and judging and being critical, even that, that can be seen as well. It's not like that has to go away in order for us to be present and connected. See, we, 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 each time, you know, each time I talk about it, I see I have to, it's, it's like a house of mirrors, you know? It's, it's like to get to the still point, <laughs> we have to keep saying, that's okay too. The rejection is okay too. The judgment is okay too. That doesn't have to go away. That doesn't have to change. But can I feel it? Can I know it? Can I bring the wholehearted mindfulness to the experience? Say, it's like this. When I reject myself, it feels like this. I have these kinds of thoughts. I have these kinds of emotions. I have these kinds of reactions. This, it's like this. Then I, then I can say, okay, now I see it. It's like, like I put it on the table. I put myself on the table. And sometimes we talk about meditation practice, insight meditation practice, as putting ourselves under the microscope so we can actually look very precisely, very directly at ourselves, at our own mind, our body, our experiences, our emotions, our feelings, to see what, what can we find out. Because if we're not looking... We can't find out. We can't discover. We can't. We can't learn. And if and then we can't grow. 
if we're not looking, it means that we're caught in our habitual tendencies. Looking means awareness, consciousness, mindfulness, attention, presence, knowing, knowing what's happening. I know what's happening. And that's my practice. My practice is to know what's happening. Stay present enough with myself that I know. I know what I'm thinking. I know what I'm feeling. I know what's happening in my body. I know how I want to react and, 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 and do things that might be hurtful to myself or to another person. Be watchful. Attentive to that. So we practice in that way. To transform the rejection means that we're really encouraging not hiding. We're not hiding from ourselves. We're, we're not afraid to look. We're not afraid to see, see to feel what's happening in our experience, to, to, to know what's true. So we might even say that the first step in the practice is the, is the acknowledging of what's true. Of course, as I said, we have to be there in order to acknowledge what's true. If we're not there, we can't do the practice if we're caught in our habits and identifications. Not afraid to look and no part left out. Eugene was saying that last night, and I, I wanted to read the poem from the nun who, um, where this comes from. But, uh, Izumi Shikubi, the 10th century great Japanese woman poet. It's watching the moon at dawn, solitary mid-sky. I knew myself completely, no part left out. I knew myself completely, no part left out. And that's inspiring for us when I mean, myself as a teacher and as a student, to, to reflect on that possibility of no part left out, no stone unturned, looking at every corner of my mind, see where, where, is the, where, where are the, the, the habits that are hurtful to myself, where are they lurking? so that I can bring them forth and I can bring them into consciousness, my conscious awareness, and to see so that they can be transformed, transformed into, into truth, the truth of who I am. So these are mind-turning practices. We're turning our mind. We're turning our mind away from the so-called destructive habits to our, the truth of who we are, to the truth of our nature. To, so we can discover, who am I? Am I these thoughts, these ideas, these this story, this, con this conceptual story of who I think I am. Who am I? Who am I in the deepest, 
heart of hearts of my being, who am I? And as we turn our mind, we transform our mind, this intention itself to turn the mind turns us towards and orients us towards our own goodness, our own benevolent heart, because that is who we are, benevolent and good in the deepest core of our being. This is a quote from the Buddha that I wanted to read in this talk tonight. It's from uh, one of the texts, the Majjhima And I had this uh, quote on my mirror in, on one of my retreats, um, mostly because when I looked in the mirror, I believed that who I saw was actually, who, how I interpreted the image in the mirror was actually who I really was. And it wasn't actually a very pleasant experience a lot of the time, like it is for many women, I believe, who look in the mirror and don't necessarily like the image that comes back to them. So on this long retreat that I was doing, I put this on the mirror, because I love this quote from the Buddha, who says, non-identification with anything has been declared by the Blessed One, for in whatever way one conceives, the fact is other than that. I love that quote. In whatever way one conceives, the fact is other than that. That's a powerful statement. <laughs> that we can't believe the way that our mind conceives reality. We can't believe it. The fact is other than that. And tomorrow night, we're going to begin to explore more of that realm of the, of the mystery, of the, of the not knowing. You know? If the fact is other than that, what is it? <laughs> Where does that leave us? What's going on here? <laughs> if it's not necessarily the way that we conceive it. So we practice. We practice, you know, here on retreat, we practice mindfulness, we practice compassion, we practice kindness, openness, truthfulness, perseverance, diligence, discipline. We practice. We practice so that we are generating conditions that will support us to come into truth into alignment with the truth, the truth of this existence, the truth of this nature, so that we can discover our own innate nature, which is not different than all of nature that exists. We come into knowing that we are not separate from all things. We come into knowing our interconnected nature with all things. And I want to end with um, this quote from Nisargadatta, who was a, a great sage in India in this uh, past century. Some of my friends uh, even had the opportunity to meet this um, wonderful saint. He said, when you know beyond all doubting that the same life flows through all that is, 
and you are that life. You will love all naturally and spontaneously. When you realize the depth and fullness of your love for yourself, you know that every living being and the entire universe are included in your affection. But when you look at anything as separate from you, you cannot love it, for you are afraid of it. Alienation causes fear, and fear deepens into alienation. It is a vicious circle. Only self-realization can break it. Go for it resolutely. Only self-realization can break it. Go for it resolutely. Let's sit for just a minute together. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.